We're continuing our series on marriage and family, and this evening we come to Ephesians 5, verse 21 to 24, and then verse 33b. Ephesians 5, verse 21, and I'm going to speak to you about the wife's role, or the role of the wife, and obviously I mean the role of the wife in marriage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll hear the word of God. Heavenly Father, we call upon you as our God and our Saviour, our Lord. We pray, O Redeemer of sinners, rescuer of your people, that you would help us in the way we live out our lives, also in marriage, and in particular then, the role of the wife in marriage, we pray that you would speak with us from your most holy word. Amen. In 2009, on 9 September, there was a, a program on Ereschi on radio with Freak Robinson. And he had some theology professors on his, on his uh, talk show. Ansi Volmerans from the University of Johannesburg, and then another professor, a woman, Lily Norkia Meyer. Uh, she's a very strong feminist. And then Greta Veed, a uh, woman speaker at women's conferences. And in this uh, discussion, they really, the, the two professors really almost downplay the role of women in marriage, and they mocked Greta Veed. Greta is a woman who says that the wife's role in marriage, marriage is that she's, she should submit to her husband, she should respect her husband, that her husband is the head of the home, her husband is the leader, and these two professors really just tore her to pieces, uh, not in terms of winning the argument, but the way they, they put their arguments. I remember the one professor of Volmerans, he said that we, we should get rid of this patriarchal model of marriage. Patriarchal means where, where you've got this, this strong male dominance in marriage. And he said that we shouldn't believe what uh, this biblical model of, of a husband dominating his wife. We live in a modern culture and men and women's roles are equal in marriage. But if that's true, then we can say there's not really a difference between Jesus and the church because because the whole model of marriage, husband and wife, is built on the model, is, is built on Jesus and the church, where Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. And so then if you switch the roles, if there's no difference between a man and his wife in marriage, and then you have to say there's no difference between Jesus and the church in the real marriage of Christ and his bride, and then in the end you can just as well say, oh, Jesus can be the bride and the church is the bridegroom. So now you've switched the roles. And if roles in marriage, if the roles are equal and it's the same, then we need to say, well, you know, in the end a man and a woman is not really different at all, which is exactly what the world is saying. And so then a man, well, he can treat his wife like he treats a rugby player. He can treat his wife like he treats other men. Why not? Because a woman is not really different from a man. So if there's maybe a, a, a robber breaking into your house at night, you know, your wife can get up and she can protect you against the robber. And if you go out to a restaurant, well, why, don't, why doesn't your wife open the car door for you? 
and be polite. And, you know, she can do that. There's no difference between the man's role and the woman's role. But that's not what Scripture teaches, you see. According to the Bible, a man and a woman, they have equal value before God. Just like in, in the workplace, your boss and you, you've got equal value as human beings in society. And so it's true, the man and his wife are equal in that sense. Genesis 1 verse 27, God created them, male and female, in his image he created them. Galatians 3 verse 28, in Christ there's neither male nor female, meaning that you've got equal value, both are saved by grace through faith in Christ. 1 Peter 3 verse 7, you are co-heirs of the grace of life. Both of you, husband and wife, if you trust in Christ, you're saved. So in that sense, you've got equal value. And yet, the man is the leader of the house, and he must... He must lead his woman. His woman must follow him. His leadership. Genesis 2 verse 18. God creates the woman as the helper. Or this passage in Ephesians. We see the man is the head of the wife. He's the leader. So let's read our verses. Ephesians 5 verse 21. And we'll see this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife. Even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its saviour. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And then the second part of verse 33, let the wife see that she respects her husband. I remember attending a wedding, and this will answer our first question, uh, for whom is submission meant? For whom is submission? So at this wedding some years ago, the, the pastor at the wedding, the preacher, he preached on Ephesians 5 verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And on this passage he says, so you see it says, submit, submitting to one another. In other words, he said to the woman, the, the bride, you're not supposed to submit to your husband, but you and your husband must submit to one another. That is not what this passage is teaching. Rather, verse 21, submitting to one another, it's almost like that's a general heading. And then in the verses that follow, he explains what he means, up to chapter 6, verse 9. So Paul spells out, this is what I mean by submitting to one another. What I mean is, you must submit to the authority that God has placed over you. What do I mean? Wives, in marriage, you submit to your husbands. Chapter 6, verse 1, children... You submit to your parents. Chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves, you submit to your masters. Now, if Paul had meant here, oh, the husband must also be submissive to his wife, then we need to be consistent in our argument. Then you must say, oh, Paul says submit to one another. That means, parents, you must start, start submitting to your kids. So you, mother with a three-year-old, you must obey your three-year-old. Now you see switching roles. Or, masters, remember, you obey your slaves, you submit to them. And that is not what this passage is teaching at all. If, you, if you're going to start doing that, everyone just submits to everyone, eventually you, you end with a society like our society, where students and where... Uh, people in the workplace, they get upset, they're not happy with the lecturers, they're not happy with the boss, and they start breaking things down and setting universities alight and burn the whole place down. Now, someone might say, yes, but in our home it works different. You see, in our home, uh, a, a wife might say, my husband and I, we are both the leaders, and yet we, 
we quite happily married. We just shared the leadership, and we happily married. Well, first of all, I want to talk to your husband and say, Mr. So-and-so, whoever you may be, if you cannot lead your wife, if you cannot protect your wife, then you are not like Christ, because Christ leads His bride, and He protects His bride, the church. And so you, you're not worthy of the name of a man. Please, would you remove your pants and wear a dress? You know, in many marriages where, where wives take the lead, what happens in such a marriage, the husband becomes passive. He takes a back seat, he becomes passive, he doesn't lead as he ought to lead. Now, it's not right of the husband to do that, but that's exactly what's going to happen if the wife starts wearing the pants, if she starts taking the lead. And then such a wife, you know, she'll start complaining about everything. I need to do everything. My husband does nothing. My husband does nothing. He just sits in front of the TV and, or he's at work all the time on the golf course or with his friends or at the church all the time. But you know, sometimes it happens like that because that husband doesn't want to be in a house where his wife takes the lead and, and she, she's continually telling him what to do. That husband has read the book of Proverbs where it says better to live in a desert than in a house with a quarrelsome woman or the woman dripping like a tap. He'd rather stay on the roof or be somewhere else. And it's not right to the husband to abdicate and, and forsake his responsibility, but often that's a response because the wife wants to wear the pants. And he just says, you know what, I'm not going to put up with this. And he, he's on the golf course all the time or sitting in front of the TV. And I want to emphasize, it's not right of the husband to do that, but I'm trying to... Sketch the scenario so you can see uh, where this often comes from. Because you've got a wife, in many cases, she complains when her husband, uh, that her husband takes the lead. He can't be the leader. I also want to lead. And eventually, she does take the lead. And what happens? Then she starts complaining, why doesn't my husband take the lead? Why is he not the leader in the house? But if you're going to continue to complain... And you tell your husband, you must take the lead, you must take the lead. Isn't it ironic? You are busy then taking the lead as the wife. You're telling your husband what to do. And it's like that saying. The saying goes, you know, the husband says, I'm the leader in our house because my wife told me I can be the leader. <laughs> so why not just, just leave the leadership to your husband? Leave it in the Lord's hands. Your husband's leadership and pray for your husband. Don't be, don't, don't be a ventriloquist. You know ventriloquists, they got the doll in their hand and it looks like the doll's talking, but actually the person's talking. And some wives, they're ventriloquists. So they're speaking through their husbands. So for instance, you'll, you'll find the wife, she tells her husband, when you're at the, the leader's meeting, say this and this and tell them this and tell them that or go to the family and tell them this and that. And then the husband says to the family, do this or that, but you can hear it's not the husband speaking, it's his wife talking behind him, it's his wife speaking through him. And that, that also goes when, you, when you're visiting people. Don't constantly and continually tell your husband, come on, okay, husband, hubby, we must leave now. Come on, darling, it's time to go. Let the husband decide. Let him take lead of the family and decide, all right, it's time to go now. Now, I'm not trying to tell you that you can't help your husband in taking decisions and you shouldn't help your husband in the, the education of your children, raising your kids and, and helping with the finances and so on. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that your husband is the one who takes the lead and your husband is the one who has the final say. 
And now you have wives, they're very afraid, and they say, yes, but what if my husband makes a mistake? Well, then you take him aside and you speak gently, and you don't command him and say, you must do this or must do that. Why not make a suggestion and say, what about this, love, or darling, or angel, what you call your husband? And then if your husband disagrees with you, leave him. You don't need to control your husband. The Lord can take care of him. And if, and if he doesn't lead the family as he ought to lead the family, then God will rebuke him. Leave it to the Lord. Right, second question. What does submission mean? My mother told me the story that when I was a child of about four years old, if she wanted me to do something, she would say the opposite. For instance, she didn't want me in the house, then she would tell me the opposite. And say, you come into this house right now. And then I would do the opposite. Uh, let me give another example. When I was in um, high school, standard 8, what's it, grade 10 nowadays. When I was in grade 10, we went on a school tour. And on the tour, at one stage, one of the teachers said to us, you're going to do this and this and this. And one of the matric boys said, why must we do that? And the teacher said, because those are the rules. And the matric boy said, yes, and rules are there to be broken. And then the teacher says, yes, and somebody's backside is there to be broken too. <laughs> what I'm trying to illustrate by those stories is, because of the fall of man, when, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, when they disobeyed God, what happened was that all human beings since then, we've got a built-in rebellion in our hearts, where we kick against any rules, any laws, any authority. And so like Adam and Eve, we believe Satan when he tells us, you don't need God. You don't need God over you. You can be your own God. You can make the rules. Don't have God telling you what you must and must not do, what you may and may not do. And it's for this very reason that many women, they are in rebellion against this whole biblical concept of submission. They don't want to submit. Many women are like this. And most of them don't even know what submission means. You know, the Greek word for submit literally means to place yourself under someone, to, to give over the control to someone else. So it's as if the wife says to her husband, I submit myself to you. Here I am, all that I am, all the abilities God has given me, and it's all for you, to help you, to support you. I'm here to work with you as a team. And I realize God has given you the position as leader. I accept that and I will follow your lead. So submission, it's not something forced upon you. Submission is something God commands the wife to give. Give submission. Submit to your husband. And it's often, it's often more of an attitude than it is an action. It's an attitude. So for instance, or for example, it won't help. Here's a wife she does what her husband asks her to do, but she's complaining and moaning and groaning while she does it. That's not submission. Submission means you respect your husband. Verse 33b, where it says, let the wife see that she respects her husband. How do you respect your husband? Well, you don't sit on his head. And you don't compete for his position as leader. You trust his leadership. You follow his leadership. Another way of respecting your husband is don't, don't rebuke him in front of the kids. 
Don't admonish him and rebuke him in front of other people. Or you say things that's belittling. You belittle him in front of other people. That's not respecting your husband. Don't treat him as you would treat one of the kids. Sometimes husbands do act like kids. But don't treat him as, he's, as if he's one of the kids. Eat your food. No, no, you've eaten enough. No more eating. Pick up your socks. Don't drive that way. Drive here. Do this. Another way of respecting your husband is ask for his counsel. Ask for his advice. Instead of just running to your parents or to your friends and asking their advice. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 34 and 35 tells the wife to ask her husband's advice. And then don't go over the budget. If he asks you to, please don't, no more spending. Don't go over the, the budget. And please, ladies, I don't want to see your husbands pumping your wife in the ribs with your elbow. You, your turn is next week. <laughs> And then go, don't gossip about your husbands. You're with your friends, gossiping about your husbands, complaining about your husband, talking about all the mistakes he makes and how he's wrong in this and wrong in that. That's not respecting your husband. That's not submission. And then always trying to change your husband. What about when he's talking to you? When your husband just wants to chat with you, leave what you're busy doing. Leave that, what you're busy with. And give your full attention to your husband. And then don't give him counsel immediately. Don't give him advice immediately. Just listen. He wants to bury his heart. He wants to talk out his heart. He's, he's concerned about something at work. Just listen. Don't chip in and say, do this, do this. Uh, yes, you can give advice, but just wait a little. Let him talk. And then when you, when you talk to your husband, speak gently and speak softly. Don't shout and don't scream and fight. That's not respecting your husband. Always correcting your husband in front of other people. No, 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 it wasn't a blue car, it was a red car. No, it wasn't a Tuesday, it was a Thursday. You're always correcting him and finishing his story. He starts a story and you finish it for him. And then to respect your husband, bear with his weaknesses. He's got weak points. He's a sinner like you are. Bear with him and compliment him on his strong points. Tell him that you love him. Tell him that you're glad that he's the leader God has given you. And then do things with him. Do things together as husband and wife. Even if you're not really interested. My wife took me to a Ferrari day at Kailami some years ago. I said, well, we need to go to the Ferrari day. And she's not really interested in Ferraris. I'm very much interested in Ferraris. Sit next to your husband. Hold his hand. Sit close to your husband. Uh, show appreciation when he does something for you. Make yourself attractive for your husband. Do things your husband likes. Like maybe making his favorite meal, his favorite food. Then be glad when your husband comes back from work. Glad to see you. Those are ways of showing respect. Third question. To whom, to who or to whom must you be submissive? I remember when I was a student, one of the other students, one of the, the male students, he was very upset. Because here were these female students and they didn't know their place. They need to know their place as women because they, they didn't do what he told them to do. But where does the Bible say that, that women should be submissive to all men? No, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. Now, in practice, that means two things. Number one, that would mean don't question your husband's leadership 
But when another man comes, someone else's husband, and he asks you, please will you do, do this, immediately you respond. Yes, yes, sure, I'll help you. But when your own husband does, are you questioning his leadership? You don't do. You listen to what other men say, but not what your own husband says. Verse 22, so wives, submit to your own husbands, not other women's husbands. And then another implication practically is, don't think your girlfriend, if you're, if you're a young single man, you've got a girlfriend, don't think your girlfriend should be submissive to you. You're the leader. She must follow your lead. Even some people, they're living in sin. Here's a, a man and a woman. They're not married. They're living together as, as if they're married. And now you think that woman should, should be submissive to you. Listen, she's not your wife. She doesn't have to follow your lead. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands. Fourth question. Why should you be submissive? So here's a man. He lives in a, a neighborhood. He's new, in the, new to the neighborhood. And every night for the first few weeks, this quite disturbs him. He wakes up and he sees police lights outside his house. And he sees the police cars standing there every single night. And he wonders what's going on. And he starts thinking, they're spying on me. But what he doesn't know is actually... They're there, to, they're there to protect him. This is a dangerous neighborhood, and they're there taking care and watching that he is safe. And you know, in exactly the same way, like that man who's suspicious for all the wrong reasons, there, there are some women, some wives, they see submission as a punishment. God is punishing me. They're suspicious about Submission. But they forget that God, submission, the submission of the wife, isn't some punishment for sin or because Adam and Eve sinned. Rather, God created man and woman from the beginning in this way that the man should be the leader and the wife should be his helper. You read this in Genesis 2 18, 1 Timothy 2 12 and 13. So that is how it's designed from the beginning. What happened when the fall of man came, the moment Adam and Eve sinned, the roles switched. That's why the fall of man came into sin. Because Eve suddenly took the lead and Adam followed. Genesis 3 verse 6 and verse 17. Now some, some bright spark is going to go to Genesis 3 verse 16 and is going, no, 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 no. And he's going to remind us of Genesis 3 verse 16 and says, listen to the end of the verse. God says to the woman, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Ah, you see. So the man's leadership in the home is part of the woman's punishment. No, but if you just continue reading, you'll see that in chapter 4, verse 7, it says, God says to Cain, Sin's desire is for you. Sin desires you, Cain, but you must rule over it. What did God say to Eve? Your desire will be for your husband, but he shall rule over you. Cain, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Exactly the same phrase. So what's the point? The point here is, sin wants to rule Cain in Genesis 4, but he must dominate sin. Sin wants to dominate him, but he must fight back, and he must rule with an iron fist over his own sin. That's exactly what happens in Genesis 3 with a husband and wife. What happens is, the meaning is that the wife wants to dominate her husband, but he will fight back every inch of the way he will fight her, and he will rule with an iron fist. That is not what God says ought to happen. 
God is not commanding that. God is saying, this is the result of your sin. You're going to want to take the leadership, Eve, but Adam will fight you every, every step of the way. And then when Jesus comes, that can change. Because Jesus now saves us. Jesus restores the original order of a man and a woman. And therefore, a man can now lead his wife lovingly and gently. And the wife can submit to him with a happy heart and follow her husband's leadership. That's the point of Ephesians 5. So it's very, very clear that male leadership in marriage, it comes from God. It's not because of some sexism in culture where, oh, men are stronger and they dominate and bully women or some Africana tradition or anti-woman culture. That's not at all what it's about. Verse 23, the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. So that is instituted by God. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3, the same. Now feminists, feminists, those people who are so pro-woman, they, they want to get rid of all men. Feminists will tell you, no, 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 no. The Greek word in the New Testament, the Greek word for head in verse 23, the husband is the head, it doesn't mean leader. The Greek word for head it means source, almost like a fountain head where the river flows from. So the husband is the source. So what Paul means, they would say, Paul doesn't mean the husband's the leader of the house, the leader of his wife. Paul means that God created the woman out of the man. She cre he created Eve from Adam's side or his rib, so she stands next to him, so, so she's an equal, which means there is no difference at all between the husband's role and the wife's role. Let me respond to that by saying, nowhere in all of the New Testament, nowhere in the Old Testament, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the LXX, never does that Greek word for head ever mean source, ever. But there are a number of places where that Greek word means leader. So don't come and say, oh, head doesn't mean leader, it means source. No, 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 no. It means leader. That's exactly what it means in Ephesians 5. And we know this. How do we know this? Further, furthermore, we know this because the husband, verse 23, is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, this is, which is his body, it says. This is the picture of a head and a body. You just read the passages of Jesus as the head of the church, and it's very clear it has to do with authority and with leadership. For instance, in Colossians 2 verse 10, we read, You've been filled in Christ, who is the head of all rule and authority. Head does mean leader. It does mean the one in the position of authority. Now, just like a head controls the body, you've got the brain, and it sends signals to the body. That's the illustration that's used for Christ and the church, and that's the illustration for the husband and the wife. The man is like the brain, and the brain gives signals to the body. All right, the wife is like the body, and she responds to those, and they work together. But the man is, can I say, the control center, the brain. He's the head. He's the leader. Now Christ, as the head of the church, he never works against his body. He always works with the body, with his church, for her benefit. And we see it in the fact, verse 23 at the end, he is the savior of the church. Verse 25, he gave himself up for the church. 
He redeemed us. He saved us from our sins. And in the same way, husband and wife is like a head and a body. You don't work against each other. We're not enemies, husband and wife. You work as a team. The husband leads his wife and the wife helps her husband. Now someone might say, well, why can't the wife be the leader with her husband? They can both be the head, like one of my professors said. I'm not the head of our home. In, in my house, my wife and I, we're both the leaders of the home. We're both the head of the home. Listen, let me tell you about two heads. A body with two heads is not a healthy body. It's a Siamese twin. That's not healthy. And so if you want to say, oh, we can have two heads. Well, why not read verse 23? The husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ himself is the head of the church. That's like saying, oh, Jesus and the church. Me and Jesus, we're both the head of the church. No, we're not. Christ alone is the head of the church. And in the same way, the husband alone is the head of the wife. Now you get some wise crack who's going to tell you, yes, the, man, the, the, the husband's the head of the, of the wife, but the wife is the neck. She controls the head. She moves the head. Well, if that is true, then we should say, you know, Jesus is the head of the church, but the church is the neck. We're the neck. We control Jesus. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. Why not rather just accept what the Bible teaches that the husband is the head who must lead his wife. Verse 23. Now, please note, verse 23 says, the husband is the head. It doesn't say he must be the head. He's not giving a command. He's just giving a fact. That's a fact. The husband's the head of the wife. He's the leader. So if, you, if you've got a husband, he's, he's uninvolved in his marriage, in his family. He's passive. Then he's still leading. But he's leading by his absence. He remains the leader. And so the wife shouldn't say, you know, I don't want to take the lead in my marriage, but I have to. Because I don't have a choice. My husband's passive. He's never there. He just doesn't take the lead. Can I, can I respond by saying, you're not thinking clearly, if you think that way. You're not thinking clearly. Let me give you an example. So here's, here's a parent, a, husband, a, a father and a mother. They've got three children. Now, the father and the mother, they're passive. They're not fulfilling their role. They're not leading the children as they ought. What should the kids do? Should the kids say, you know, we need to take control of this house now. I, I'm five years old. I'm the oldest. I think I'm going to take charge of the house. No, you don't think that way. The kids shouldn't take charge of the house at all. He should simply remain in his position as a child and leave his parents to the Lord. In the same way, wives, God is not going to ask you one day, why did you take the lead? Because your husband didn't do his duty. Why didn't you take the lead? No, what God is going to say is, I'm going to punish you, husband, for not taking the lead in your house, for not leading your wife and loving your wife. And for you, wife, I'm going to punish you because you didn't fulfill your responsibility. You left your responsibility because you took over your husband's role and you wanted to take the lead. And now a wife might respond, yes, but if I don't take the lead, no one's going to do it. Listen, stop. Leave it to the Lord. Leave it to the Lord you just fulfill your duty as a wife. Fulfill your role. Leave your husband to God. Fifth question. How must I, or how must you as a wife, how must you submit? I remember uh, when I was in school, high school, one day one of the boys hit another boy with a fist in his face. And the other boy who could easily have responded by fighting back, he just looked at the guy who hit him in the face and just stood there and didn't respond at all. Let me ask you a question now. Which of, this, of the two boys was the stronger one? 
Well, obviously, the one who didn't strike back. That takes a lot of courage and guts and a lot of inward strength and self-control to not respond at all. And so what I'm trying to tell you is submission is not weakness. Submission is great strength under control. Any woman can be a feminist. And I stand up for my rights as a woman. Any woman can do that. Only a Christian woman can submit to her husband gladly because she wants to honor and obey God. Now, where does she get the strength to submit to her husband? She's filled with the Spirit. She's filled with the Word. Verse 18, it says, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. And one of the results of being filled with the Spirit is verse 21, submitting to one another. Verse 22, submit to your own husbands. Verse 23, your husband's the head. Verse 24, submit to your husbands. Verse 33, respect your husband. Where did it start? In verse 18. Filled with the Spirit. Or Colossians 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands. You see, it's the Holy Spirit teaching this wife to learn the word and to understand the word. And then the Spirit leads her to obey the word. And so as she grows in a relationship with the Lord and in her submission to Christ, because verse 21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And the more and more she submits to the Lord and grows in a relationship with Christ, from that relationship she learns, oh, this is what Jesus wants me to do. And what Jesus wants me to do is to submit to my husband, to respect my husband. And then she does that. And so because she wants to please Christ, she can even then, Submit to a husband who is not worthy of her respect. Because in the first place, she's not doing it for her husband. She is in the very first place doing it because she wants to honor Christ. Verse 22 again, 21 at the end. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. 22, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. So before you read a book or you want to figure out, give me 10 ways I can submit to my husband. The very first thing is you ought to know the Lord. You should know the Lord. In a personal relationship with Christ, you must live in a relationship with Christ. As verse 21 says, as to the Lord. Out of reverence for Christ, verse, verse 21, verse 22, as to the Lord. And, and only when you've done that, when Jesus Christ is number one, he's the, he's the number one relationship in your life then you can be the right kind of wife for your husband. Jesus must be above your husband. Now, if submission, some of you wives, if submission seems like this insurmountable mountain, it seems I'll never climb this mountain, well, then ask yourself the question, how, how am I submissive to Christ? Verse 22, as to the Lord, obey. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ. You should submit to your husband. So how are you submissive to Christ? How do you submit to Jesus? Is it because you're forced? You have to? He forces you? Or is it that you want to obey Christ? And if it's true that you want to obey Christ, then you should also then be submissive in marriage to your husband. Not because your husband forces you to, to submit to him, but because you know this is what will honor the Lord. 
Verse 21. This is what, this is the way I can respect and show reverence for Christ. And then when unbelievers see that, then they'll start asking you, why are you different? You're different than the feminists. You're different even than many women who call themselves Christian. Christian women, you're so different. You respect your husband. Why do you do so? Isn't that what Titus 2 verse 5 says? That if you respect your husband, it's like, if you don't respect your husband, then people start speaking evil about Christians. Yeah, look at Christians. But if you respect your husband, they say, wow, you're so different. And that'll be your chance to share the gospel with him. Now, some Christian women, they hear this, and they say, all right, I agree with you. I agree that I should be submissive to my husband. But they, you know, there are some areas in these women's lives they will submit to their husbands, but not in this area. I'm not going to give my husband the lead here. He can't take the lead. For instance, he can't take the lead when it comes to finances. He can't take the lead when it comes to the, the raising of our children. I'm more intelligent than him, and I can do a better job than he does. And so these women think that in some areas of marriage that they are, they are the leader in that area. But that's like... That's like the so a sergeant major, you know, they think they're kind of a sergeant major in, in the army. A sergeant major, I remember at a cadet camp when I was in school, at an army um, camp. And there were the, the real sergeant major and a captain. Our captain is an officer, and a sergeant major is not an officer yet. He's still, I don't know what the English phrase is in Afrikaans, an honor officer. And so the captain is a higher rank than a sergeant major, but in in the mess, when it comes to the place where, where you gather in the dining hall and on the parade ground, they're the sergeant major's boss over everyone. And I remember at this cadet camp, the sergeant major shouted at the captain in uh, the dining hall. He said, not in my dining hall, captain! Not in my dining hall! And the captain said, yes, sergeant major! <laughs> Listen. Wives, you're not a sergeant major. You're not a sergeant major where you're really under the captain, but you think in certain areas you're above the captain. Verse 24. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. In everything. Your husband is the leader. Now you can help him in these various and different areas. You're a team, but your husband remains the leader. He is the leader. He has the final say. Verse 24, he is the head. And so that also means, husbands, don't get me, don't get too excited here. That also means that you're going to be accountable before God, husbands, when things go wrong and when wrong decisions are taken. Just like Adam, even though Eve took the fruit first, God said to Adam, where are you, Adam? Why did you eat the fruit? You're responsible, husband. You want to be the leader? So actually what I'm saying is, wives, don't be greedy. And say, I want the position of leadership. You get the position. You got the job. You got the responsibility. Now some wives might say, all right, I own up. I admit I've failed. I've really messed up, and maybe you've even gotten divorced, and you weren't a good wife. You didn't submit to your husband. Well, then ask the Lord's forgiveness. And ask your ex-husband, please, will you forgive me? I didn't do what God asked of me. Even, even if your husband was the, the main culprit in filing for divorce, and 
Ask for forgiveness where you were wrong. And even for the married woman here, ask for forgiveness. Ask the Lord's forgiveness, your husband's forgiveness. If you've done wrong, you haven't submitted to your husband. And then ask the Lord's help. Lord, help me to change. Right? Question, someone might say, but what if I'm married? I'm married to an unbeliever and he treats me badly. And what if, what if he treats me badly and he asks me to sin with him? What do I do then? Well, then you tell your husband in a gentle way that, verse 22, I must submit to my husband as to the Lord. So I, I'm submissive to the Lord, f- first of all. And because you're asking me to sin, I can't do so, my husband. I can't do it because God tells me to obey him. So you tell him what the apostle said in Acts 4 verse 19 and 5 verse 29. We must decide now, must we obey God or people? And so first of all, we obey God. So I can't sin like you ask me to. Uh, and maybe I'll just tell you this story to, to explain this. I'll end with a story. So this is a real story, a true story. It's a very sad story, a horrible story about a husband and wife, Gordon and Emma. Gordon was a pastor. He got married to Emma. And everyone thought this is going to be the model a marriage. How wonderful, a godly couple. They both love the Lord. But sadly, it didn't work out that way because Gordon, on their honeymoon, told Emma, you know, I just want to tell you, I didn't marry you because I love you. I just married you because married pastors have an easier chance of getting a job than single pastors. And for 40 years, she was married to this man, cold, didn't love her, uh, didn't care about her. And uh, even uh, they had six children. And even after the fourth child, he openly admitted that to his wife, to Emma, that he had committed adultery, but said, you can't divorce me because it's going to ruin my ministry and I can't remain a pastor if you tell everyone. What a sad story. And Emma slept in a different room. She slept with the two daughters in the same room and, and Gordon had his own room and the four boys lived in their own room. And Emma just asked for the Lord's help and grace not to become bitter toward Gordon. She kept on praying for him and uh, asking the Lord to change his heart and save him. And eventually, after 40 years, they got divorced. And Emma kept on praying for Gordon that God would save him and wrote him birthday cards every year and even now and then a letter calling him to repentance and faith in Christ. And eventually, one day, the Lord broke through into Gordon's heart and he saved Gordon. And Gordon was really converted. And he had such sorrow for his sin. He asked the Lord's forgiveness. He wrote a letter to Emma begging her for forgiveness for all that he had done to her in treating her wrongly. And Gordon's life changed drastically and dramatically. How the Lord changed Gordon. And they didn't get remarried, but but Gordon served the Lord. And so did Emma. And eventually Gordon and Emma died. And today they are both with Christ in heaven. But you see, it was Emma, the Lord used her to keep on showing respect. Even though Gordon wasn't worthy of her respect, she knew that Jesus is worthy of her respect. And so she obeyed the Lord. And in the end, it was that attitude God used, Emma's attitude that won Gordon to Christ. Now, I, I really do not wish for anybody ever to be in Emma's situation. But my wish is that Christian wives, in their gentle and submissive attitude, they would win others to Christ. And in some cases, even win their husbands to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for 
bringing your word to us plainly and clearly. And my prayer this afternoon is that you would give us such wives that would follow you by being submissive to you first of all and then to their husbands. And also that you would give husbands who will love their wives and nurture and nourish and cherish and care for their wives and serve them with a humble attitude of love. And that you would give us godly marriages in this church and repentance of sin where there is and forgiveness and grace. Amen.